Once a jet giant, always a jet giant. I don't know if you saw that yesterday, Shireen. Eli Manning started to thank New York Jets fans and then ultimately changed it to Giants. I wish he would have finished the thought, but he corrected himself (laughs) midstream. This guy's a broadcaster now. Can't be making mistakes like that. Got to be able to articulate the name of the team that you played for the name of the teams playing tonight eagles cowboys we'll get you ready for that plus talk about much more over the course of the next hour it's pftpm good afternoon shereen how are you i'm ready i'm ready for some monday night football be heading that way after we get done here so a little excitement in the air in arlington tonight so you're actually going to the game i am i will be there now i doubt that jerry will be holding court like he Used to. I don't know. Will he? I, I mean, it's full stadium. Uh, no. No. I, those I are can't so see riveting. It. I wish he was. The, uh, yeah. The quotes that, that, that was come why you from went. those scrums. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, with or without Jerry adding to the experience, <laughs> it'll be a compelling game, and we'll get ready for it later. Before that, though, let's take a look back at the news coming out of the third Sunday that was for the National Football League, and It begins in Chicago, where the Bears did not look very good yesterday. The first team since 2009 to have one net passing yard. That is not good. Don't need to be a high-level mathematician or football historian to realize one net passing yard is not good. Here's Matt Nagy, coach of the team, talking about the team's quarterback situation moving forward. If Andy can't go, is Nick under consideration or is it just Andy and Justin? No, no, they're all, they're all three under consideration right now, you know, in regards to where, where they're at. So we'll just have to kind of see, Hub, uh, the next couple of days where they're all at. Um, we know where Nick's at health-wise, but we just want to keep an eye on, on Justin and Andy. And then for us to, uh, to, to stay on that and, and make sure that, uh, that we have a plan for any of those. So it could be Andy Dalton, it could be Justin Fields, it could be Nick Foles. And Justin Fields, I don't want to say he was a disappointment. I think it was disappointing the way that the Bears used him, something Drew Brees said last night. You need to have an offense that is suited to the skills and abilities of Justin Fields. You see on the highlights we're showing here, they're dropping him back like he's a conventional pocket passer. That's one thing Miles Garrett told me after he had four and a half sacks, a Browns franchise record. They were surprised that they weren't moving him around, getting him out of the pocket, keeping him in one place because those Browns defensive linemen were able to get home nine times in all, Shereen. Yeah, Mike, I don't know if it matters which quarterback they're going to start because the offense is the same, the offensive line is the same, the play calling is the same. There's nothing different. I mean, this is a team that has struggled since Mac Nagy has been there on offense, and maybe we owe Mitchell Trubisky an apology, right? Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe he's like Sam Darnold and Matthew Stafford. He just needed, needs, needed to get somewhere else to have an opportunity to start and play. We're going to find that out. He's obviously a backup right now, but maybe that's all he needed. Maybe it wasn't him because this offense is just abysmal, whoever they put in there at quarterback, Mike. What's amazing is the Bills paid Trubisky $2.5 million for 2021. Andy Dalton getting four times that amount to be the Bears' starter if he's still the starter. I remember the narrative last week was 
He'll be the starter when he's healthy, and nothing is going to heal him faster than the replacement not getting it done. And look, post-MDS had earlier today, rookie quarterbacks so far this year are 1-10. and Mm. The only victory came when two of them played (laughs) each other. Mac Jones beat Zach Wilson in Week 2. Not that Mac Jones actually was stellar. It's that Zach Wilson was not good at all that game, and maybe this is why we see this desire to bring these guys along slowly. And the NFL is a copycat league. It's based on trends. It's based on what works or doesn't work in the short term. I just wonder if this year is going to cause teams to reconsider putting quarterbacks out there right away as soon as they're drafted. The trend had been really since 2008 with Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco, if you're going to use a first-round pick on a quarterback – Get him out there with some exceptions, most notably Patrick Mahomes sitting almost all of 2017. When you look at the struggles of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, now Mac Jones with three picks yesterday, Trey Lance still not ready to supplant Jimmy Garoppolo, even though the 49ers would really benefit from it. Justin Fields not getting it done yesterday. Maybe maybe the, the defenses in the NFL have figured out how to more quickly figure out these young quarterbacks. But something's going on here. It can't be that all five of these guys stink. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. And I was surprised a little bit that the Bears didn't start Nick Foles. I mean, they had him there. He was available. He could have started last week. And if you're trying to protect Justin Fields, which it certainly seemed like that's what they were trying to do, then why not start Nick Foles? Let him play. I mean, he wasn't horrible last year. He was okay last year. He certainly was much better than Justin Fields was yesterday, but that's not what they opted to do. And what you worry about is killing a kid's confidence. If he gets in there and does like Justin Fields did and just gets killed with nine sacks, how's he going to respond? Is his confidence gone? Does he, When he gets back in there, does he look to get outside the pocket and do some things maybe that he's not capable of doing? I don't know. But maybe these guys do need to sit back and watch a little bit. Maybe the Jaguars should have played – Uh, Gardner Minshew kept him. I don't know. But there is something going on, Mike, because I just don't think all of these guys would have stunk at the same time. I mean, they were highly rated coming out of college, and all of them just look terrible so far. Yeah, and uh, look, still a long way to go, and we get to see one of them on Thursday night, Trevor Lawrence against Joe Burrow, the last two number one overall picks getting together in prime time. Jaguars can't buy a win. Bengals looking pretty good. we got plenty of time to talk about that one. The Broncos, 3-0. and Some bad news, though. Receiver K.J. Hamler tore his ACL on Sunday out for the season. Jerry Judy suffered an ankle sprain back in week one. He's been out. And I'm impressed with the Broncos generally. I will stipulate, because it's undeniable, that the Broncos' three opponents so far this year are combined 0-9. But... Three of those losses have come against the Broncos. In past years, those teams wouldn't be 0-9 because one or more of them or all of them would have beaten the Broncos. So these are still NFL teams. They have not been relegated to some lower level of the sport. Yes, it's the Giants, Jaguars, and Jets, but still card-carrying members of the National Football League. The Broncos have won each of the three games. They have not been close. The Jaguars game, I think they 
screwed around with them a little bit longer than they should have. But yesterday was domination, 26 nothing, home opener, Broncos fans, something to be happy about. Now, it all changes starting now. Ravens at Steelers, which won't be easy, even though the Steelers kind of stink right now. The Raiders at the Browns. So the next four games, we're going to learn a lot about the Broncos. They could be three and four when we're doing this show four weeks from now, Shereen. Entirely possible. Yeah. Or they could be seven and zero. Oh. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be seven and zero oh, though. I would bet three <laughs> and four before I bet seven and zero. Oh. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. And and I tweeted that last night because all the Broncos players were coming out and saying, "Hey, Teddy needs respect. He's three and zero. He's a better quarterback than you think he is." And I said, with all due respect, the teams you've played are zero and nine. And if he wins the next four games, I guarantee you we'll be talking about Teddy and giving him the respect he deserves because he will be in the MVP conversation if they can go start the season seven and zero, Mike, with the next four teams on their schedule. That's tough. Eight and four. Those teams have a combined record Pittsburgh obviously with the worst record of those four teams but that's a tough stretch of games for the Broncos but you're right in that I don't think in past years the last two or three years that the Broncos would have come out even this stretch with bad teams three and oh and they've managed to do that and they've managed to do that despite some pretty significant injuries I mean you talked about the two guys but you know Bradley Chubb and Dalton Reisner is now hurt and Graham Glasgow is now hurt and Josie Jewell's out for the year, and Ronald Darby's hurt. So they've had a string of injuries here and been able to overcome those. That's something past Broncos teams perhaps wouldn't have been able to do. One of the things I firmly believe about the NFL is that if you are a team that is trying to establish yourself and you get the cupcakes on your schedule early and you get some wins early, that can lead to more confidence, which can lead to more performances that lead to more confidence, which can lead to more performances that lead to more confidence, confidence, and it can snowball. I, I remember the, the 1999 Rams, the greatest show-offs on turf. You go back and look at their schedule and how good those teams that they played were that year. They had, relatively speaking, a cupcake schedule. And what did they do? They went out and they started winning and winning and winning and winning, and they got more and more confident in that offense, and it, it snowballed. So uh, it's good for the Broncos to have these three cupcakes early. You get them late, who cares? You get them now, you have a chance to make guys believe in themselves, and that can spill over, and that can be that thing that provides the difference for those three or four hand those three or four plays, that handful of plays that unfolds in a given game that determines victory or defeat. You guys believe now. Because you're three and zero, that's that's a huge difference than if you come out zero and three or one and two, Shereen. And Mike, there certainly is something to be said of learning how to win. I do think that's a real thing that you have to learn how to win. You have to learn how to close out teams. Coaches have to learn how to win. All of that. And you're right. When you get those wins, it does start to snowball. There does start to be a momentum. We know how to win. We've done it. We've shut out a team now. We're really good on defense. And whether they are or aren't, sometimes it doesn't matter. If they believe they are, they can do some things perhaps that they wouldn't have been able to do before the season started or after a loss or two. So they they do have momentum now. They have learned how to win something they haven't done in past years. Now they need to try to, even if they go 2-2 two and two in this stretch, Mike, I'll be impressed with the Broncos. Yeah, I agree with you completely. We'll see what they can do moving forward. We know for now they are tied with the Las Vegas Raiders for first place in the AFC West. Both teams 3-0. and The Chargers 
in third place with two and one. That means in the basement, the Kansas City Chiefs at one and two. And they added a weapon today that may eventually help make a difference. We know they have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. We're still waiting for somebody to really declare himself, whether it's Nicole Hardman, Byron Pringle, etc. It could be Josh Gordon, who has joined the team. Now, when his agent handed the information to Adam Schefter of ESPN, the agent didn't bother to say or Schefter didn't bother to report that he's not on the 53-man roster. Josh Gordon is on the practice squad, which means, in theory, any other team could sign him unless he's protected on the practice squad. That's a device that's available now to teams for a certain number of players, but he could be signed by another team's active roster. It doesn't mean he's playing anytime soon. He was reinstated, and it's always conditional. And with Josh Gordon, unfortunately, the way the NFL has been so aggressive with him, I I don't believe he's back until he's actually back. But I hope... He gets to play. I hope he plays for the Chiefs. I hope he plays well. This is a guy who just recently turned 30. I've got very strong beliefs about whether and to what extent the NFL should worry about whether and to what extent guys smoke marijuana on their own time, especially in the offseason, especially since it's now legal in half the country at least, and more and more states for recreational purposes. I think the NFL should leave these guys alone, let them earn a living. The NFL only hurts itself, Shereen, when it keeps talented players from playing football, and hopefully we'll get to see Josh Gordon, who should still have some years left, because it's not like he's got much wear and tear because he hasn't played much football since he entered the league out of Baylor in the supplemental draft in 2012. Yeah, Mike, you know, we talk sometimes about who's the player you wish you had seen if he hadn't had an injury-plagued career. Josh Gordon is one of those guys. It hasn't been injuries. It has been substance abuse. And unfortunately, we haven't gotten to see the best of Josh Gordon aside from one year. And that one year was so incredibly good that we want to see more of that. He's now 30, and maybe he does have a lot of football left. It's been a long time since he's been out there. He played in that fan-controlled league, but he hasn't played in the NFL since 2019 when he played with two different teams and was kind of so-so. And he's kind of been so-so because he's been in and out of football Uh, the past few years. So let's cross our fingers that Josh Gordon gets another chance, gets to remain on a team, gets to remain on a roster. I think if he can do that over the course of a year or two years, I don't expect great things from him in the next two months. But maybe if he stays on a roster the next year, the next two years, the next three years, that we're going to see again the best of Josh Gordon. I certainly hope so. And as we mentioned on Friday's show with the news that he was reinstated in 2013, his second NFL season in which he played 14 of 16 games with a revolving door of crap quarterbacks, all due respect, too late for that, in Cleveland, Josh Gordon had more receiving yards in those 14 games than Terrell Owens or Randy Moss ever had in a full season in the NFL, which is Amazing. That's one of my all-time favorite sneaky under-the-radar stats. Shows you how good he could have been. And it underscores how wrong it is that the NFL, number one, decided to get into the private lives of players. I'm going to get myself really riled up about this. Number two, continues to use it as a bargaining chip for CBA purposes instead of doing the right thing and removing this altogether and giving anyone who's been under the thumb of the NFL a free pass and let them come back to the game. And I'm glad you used the actual name of the policy. They call it the substance abuse policy. That name in and of itself implies that guys are doing something wrong. How can you abuse marijuana when just using it is enough to get you in trouble? It's not even substance abuse. If you got any of it in your system the way it used to be, you get smacked down by the NFL. So it's always been wrong. 
It's always been unfair. And better late than never, Josh Gordon gets a chance to play in the NFL. All right. Speaking of things that are wrong and unfair, bad calls in the NFL, there were a few that were dominating the discussion yesterday. Number one, the delay of game, or more accurately, lack thereof, on the play that preceded the 66-yard record and game-winning field goal by the Baltimore Ravens. Then the two things that happened in very close proximity, the failure to flag the 49ers for the illegal hit to the head and neck area of Devontae Adams. And I know, and Mike Golick explained it today very passionately, and I understand that, you know, it's a football play and what are you supposed to do? But anytime the helmet hits the head or neck area of a defenseless receiver, it's a foul. And that's the way it is now. Whether you wanted to do it or not, that's the way it is. And then the decision to let Adams back into the game so quickly. Those were the things that were drawing the attention. And now, on top of that, Shereem, we've got the... Last play of the Chargers-Chiefs game, the Hail Mary. Pretty clear evidence, as supported by former NFL referee and now Sunday Night Football rules analyst Terry McCauley. Hail Mary, interference, uncalled. Shades of the fail, Mary, when Golden Tate shoved a Packer out of the way to catch the ball. Here are Chargers daring the officials to throw the flag. Only minutes after they threw an interference penalty on a fourth down that looked ticky-tack at best, the guys hugging Tyreek Hill, hugging him, and pushing him away from the ball. There is no scenario where this is not a foul for defensive pass interference, says Terry McCauley. What is the world coming to where something that blatant is not called? And there were two of them on that play, Mike. Travis Kelsey got knocked down, too, by Gilman, and that should have been called. Either one of those could have been called, and the Chargers would have had a hard argument to make that it wasn't pass interference. Their only explanation could have been that we don't throw the flag on a Hail Mary play, but that's not true. If it's interference on one play, it's interference on another play. Interference is interference regardless of when it happens. The Chiefs should have gotten the ball there at the one or two-yard line. There's no question about that. Had another play, score a touchdown, kick the extra point, and they win that game. So the Chargers got very lucky that they didn't call it, but that's probably why they interfered, Mike, thinking that the officials weren't going to call it in that situation. You know what? They were right. They got away with it. Advantage Chargers because they did it and they got away with it, and maybe the fact that – Somebody threw a flag for defensive pass interference just a few minutes earlier, which goes against what we are led to believe happens in crunch time of a game. The flag goes deeper in the pocket, especially for pass interference. And I'm not sure it even was defensive pass interference. And I still think it was questionable at best that we didn't see a quick replay of that as it happened. They just kind of moved along. I I agree with you. It should have been interference. And I'm reminded, Shereen, of the year 2019 when the NFL – allowed replay review of defensive and offensive pass interference calls and non-calls. They abandoned that after one season. But as they were explaining what was and wasn't going to be allowed, remember there was a question as to whether or not it would be available for plays under certain circumstances because they didn't want this kind of micromanagement of Hail Mary throws because everybody knows in a Hail Mary setting certain things that aren't allowed normally are allowed here and it's kind of know it when you see it even under that standard though this is still pass interference this is no different than what golden tate did nine years ago when he shoved a seahawk out of the way shoved a packer excuse me out of the way 
and caught the ball in the end zone for the victory for the Seattle Seahawks and ended the lockout of the officials. Yeah, the fail Mary, we all remember it, Mike, anybody who watched that game, and that's why the officials came back because it was such a blatant pass interference, and I don't think this is any different than that. Now, I'll say watching it live, I was trying to get on and write my story and all those sorts of things. I didn't really pay much attention to it, and then when Terry McCauley started tweeting, I went back and watched it. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely pass interference. They didn't call it. I wasn't surprised they didn't call it after seeing that, but it should have been called. The game broadcast has so much influence over the extent to which it becomes a thing. I am going to go and watch the end of that game on the NFL's Game Pass feature and see how many more looks they gave at it. Did they say, oh, look at that, a little pushing and shoving in the end zone, or did you just end and fire the confetti and shake hands and the the game just dissolves to the 425 or 405 game? Um, I had another thought that escaped me in that moment it'll come back to me here eventually if i filibuster long (laughs) enough or maybe it won't regardless it won't so i'm going to act like none of that just happened you can't get the last 20 seconds of your life back or this most recent five let's move on to oh oh here's what i want to say generally though and i wrote about it today talked about it this morning this is something the nfl desperately needs and they need it now they've needed it for a while and here's how the progression has gone of NFL VP of officiating or senior VP of officiating or whatever title they use, the guy in charge of the officiating who is supposedly or ideally the public face and voice of the NFL's officiating decisions, and in my view, the most important employee of the league office during football season, even more important, the commissioner who is just a ceremonial figurehead, but for matters of discipline on or off the field. The day-in and day-out communication to media, to teams, et cetera, that falls to the VP of officiating. When it was Mike Pereira, he was great. We saw him on NFL Network all the time. He did media all the time. He did videos all the time, explaining tough decisions, controversial calls, and admitting what he needed to admit when he needed to admit it. Then it was Dean. I can't Glendino, remember. Who, right? Carl. It was Carl. No, it was Carl Johnson in between. Remember Carl? Oh, it was Carl. That's Carl right. Was, yep. Blink, blink, and you missed it. And Carl was there. And now he's been back on a crew <laughs> ever since then. He he never embraced the public side of it that was not his skill set then comes blandino clearly his skill set to be a public facing ambassador ombudsman whatever long words you want to use he was very good at explaining and getting people to buy in and getting people to understand how these calls are made and it's such a critical function because the minute you have bad calls and no transparency that's when the tinfoil hat crowd comes out and thinks something is rigged when you're quiet about it when you're hiding the truth when you're not even dealing with the truth when you bury your head in the sand that's when the people who are inclined to say that outcomes are rigged and they're not but we can't afford to have people thinking that they are i don't want that shereen you don't want that nobody wants that because when people start thinking it's rigged they opt out they're done i'm done my team's screwed all the time i'm done i'm gonna do something else on my sunday afternoons i don't care about this anymore um so I, I think they need somebody. Al Riveron was not suited for that part of the job either. Not suited for replay review either. It's one of the reasons why he's no longer there, frankly. Walt Anderson, they're not even trying to put him out for anyone to speak. You can't just issue a statement about why Devontae Adams went back in the game. You can't have a pool report where Scott Novak recites the talking points for how the, me- the mechanics work when 
there's a potential to delay a game. You need somebody with credibility, authority, experience, and who knows how to speak in a, in a way that will persuade people to understand that any mistakes made are mistakes that are honest and legitimate mistakes. We don't want to have any, but when they happen, here's why. Sometimes it's a close call. Sometimes it can go either way. You need to do that to keep people from thinking it's rigged. Well, and Mike, you've talked a lot about gambling coming into the game and how important it is to have that transparency, and it becomes more important by the year as the NFL embraces gambling. You've got to address these things. And those were two huge calls at the end of games that cost teams games because the officials didn't make the correct calls. And we're probably going to hear, I would expect, I'll be stunned if we hear anything from the NFL about this. They want it to go away. This is not going away quickly because it influenced two games this week. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great and powerful Oz has spoken. (laughs) That's the message from the NFL. And I remember what I was going to say earlier when I filibustered my way through about 30 seconds trying to remember it. If that game, Chargers-Chiefs, had been Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, I guarantee you it would have been a much bigger deal. Because when you have those standalone games and everybody reacts after and everybody's watching and maybe we do get a few more replays served up or there's not like a bunch of other stuff happening, that one game gets tucked into the nine total games that were occurring at 1 o'clock Eastern time. That, that, that's, that's something the league should be happy about. If that had been last night's game that ended that way, it would have been a much bigger deal, yeah. and it's the number one thing we would have been talking about all day long. The Chiefs got screwed out of an opportunity to have first and goal from the one because Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey both got mugged at the goal line. All right, let's uh, pivot to the buildup for the Sunday to come. Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots since 2000. Tom Brady, who was the starting quarterback since 2001 and who left, if you haven't heard, via free agency in 2020 and who is coming back, if you haven't heard, to Foxborough on Sunday night. Last week when Bill Belichick was asked about anything, Tom Brady related, hey, we're focused on the Saints. Well, can't say it this week because they're focused on the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Let's have a listen to Bill Belichick from his press conference today and our friend Tom Curran giving him the business a little bit, and deservedly so. You spoke on WEI today about Tom Brady looking at his options, and he decided Tampa was a better option. Why weren't the Patriots a better option for him when both Robert Kraft and Brady himself said over and over how much they wanted him to finish his career here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to go back and rehash all that. We've talked about that. Really, my focus right now is on the. Yeah, my us. focus is on the game here, and look, I have so much respect and appreciation for Tom and everything he did here, and for me and for our team. And uh, you know, we're just getting ready to compete against Tampa this week, and we're going to keep our focus on that. But you've never you talk about rehashing dynamics that you've already gone through. You've never done that. Yeah, uh, we we made a statement when Tom left, and that that covered it. You surprised how well he's played? He's thrown sixty-one touchdown passes in twenty-three games down there. Uh, One Super Bowl. Yeah, Tom's a great player. Nothing surprises me that he does. Fair enough. 
Bravo, Thomas Curran, giving him the business. Hey, look, people got to be accountable. People got to be willing to answer tough questions. I've said this time again, Bill Belichick doesn't like it. There's a high school somewhere we can go coach lacrosse and be compensated accordingly. This guy's making over $20 million a year, and part of the job is to periodically answer questions. And sometimes there's going to be questions he doesn't like. And this whole, it's already been already been addressed bull S bleep T. He uses that all the time. It's already been addressed. No, it hasn't. It was so great that Tom got on him and said, you've never discussed it. We've never talked to you about it. It's never been a topic. It's very easy to let the time pass and say it's already been addressed. You go back. Well, wait a minute. It hasn't been addressed. When are you ever going to address it? It's a great technique for avoiding having to talk about things. Maybe that's what the NFL should do. They should hire Bill Belichick (laughs) to be the guy who answers questions about bad calls. And when he's asked a question, all he has to say is it's already been addressed, even if it hasn't been. It's already been addressed, and off we go. How much does Bill Belichick hate this week? How much did he dread this week? You know he didn't want to talk about Tom Brady, and he didn't want to talk about Tom Brady all week. And he's going to talk about Tom Brady all week because guess what? Tom Brady's not there. And I do think he had a little bit of revisionist history, Mike, because he said, oh, we never wanted Tom Brady to leave. They never offered Tom Brady a contract. So Tom was going somewhere else. The one thing he got right was, well, he thought Tampa was a better option than New England. Tampa was and is a better option. He won a Super Bowl there, and the Patriots are 8-11 and without Brady. They would have been better with Brady, Mike, but I don't think they would have won a Super Bowl last year with Brady. Now, I, I agree with you, and I, I don't know that I would call it mutual. Brady clearly wanted to move on. Brady clearly had enough of Bill Belichick, and I, whether it was... Bill Belichick recognizing that we need to remove the Band-Aid at some point and move forward, whether he got the feeling that Tom just wasn't happy anymore, whatever, whatever the explanation, I think that both sides recognized the time had come to move on. And I think that by the time free agency began in 2020, the Patriots had a pretty good idea Tom wanted a fresh start. And I can't fault him for it. And a point I made today, look at what Matthew Stafford has done with the Rams after leaving the Lions. And how many other veteran quarterbacks now, Shireen, are going to look at Brady and Stafford and say, I want to do what they were able to do. I want to go to a place where I'm going to be able to add to my legacy. Like a Russell Wilson, Laura Oakman of Fox said during yesterday's Vikings-Seahawks game that she had spoken to Wilson, and he says, I want to be legendary i want to be iconic and i'm telling you even more so than rogers because rogers wants out of green bay for other reasons entirely wilson's gonna want out because he's gonna want to go somewhere where he can become the 2022 version of tom brady and the and matthew stafford over the last two years this wasn't supposed to be about russell wilson but the broader point is brady has shown that if you're with a team that you think is keeping you from what you're trying to do which is win super bowls engineer it so you get a chance to pick a new team and we've seen Brady do it and Stafford and there's going to be more not less moving forward and how about Matt Ryan you can probably add him to that list too he's a former NFL MVP you would like to think that he would want to be somewhere else to have a chance to win that Super Bowl that eluded him against Brady Mike yeah and Matt Ryan told me before the season began that he never considered 
the possibility of leaving the Falcons. And I guess if they had lost yesterday, uh, I would say even more strongly, maybe you should have. But they did win. we got to give the Falcons some credit. They pulled yeah. off a victory on the day that they retired Eli Manning's jersey. Point I made earlier today, the Giants should never retire jerseys during a game again. In the Super Bowl era, they're 0-3. LT, the night they retired his jersey, lost. <laughs> Phil Simms, the night they retired his jersey, lost. And they're doing it again Coming up November 28th with the Eagles coming to town. Go ahead and bet the Eagles now to win that game straight up. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, some of the best of my post-game interviews from the third Sunday of the 2021 season. We'll be right back. Team record, four and a half sacks. How's that feel? Yeah, it feels pretty good. Personal best. Uh, glad to see my, my fellow D-linemen and my, my defense you know, be just much as I did. How different was the Bears' approach to stopping you guys from what you thought it was going to be? I thought they were going to, or we thought we were going to roll out a bit more. It would be uh, kind of move the pocket so he wasn't you know, kind of standing there and giving us you no know, time to, to blitz and get after him. But, I mean, they gave an opportunity to, to drop back. It was an opportunity to get back there. What clicked for you today that made it different offensively than it had been the first two weeks? You know, we just we found a rhythm early on. Um, our guys were obviously making plays. I mean, you look at that Emmanuel Sanders catch, the Dolphin Knox catch uh, in the end zone. I mean, just two really unbelievable plays. Um, we were clicking really well. Our front five did a fantastic job. They don't think we had any sacks. So, and then our defense, they played out saying they – you know, got three turnovers, I believe, and when you play football that type of way, usually you're going to have really good results, and I think that's what we did today. We played complimentary football, and, um, you know, shout out to our entire team for coming out and being prepared for this one. At what moment did you turn the page on all the stuff that was going on in the preseason and become the guy we've seen you be the last three games? Um, I'd say it started in preseason because, Preseason, I didn't really have a lot of reps, so all my reps were limited. Um, and it just made me realize, you know, <clears throat> that I need to focus on when it's time to focus, uh, lock in when I need to lock in. Um, and the ball is only thrown so many times in the NFL game, you know what I'm saying? So you got to capitalize when it's time to. You know? I just made that my mindset and, and been striving. Help me understand you guys got a little Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. One week, great. One week, not great. Now, great again. How do you get it consistently the way it was today? Uh, I mean, we can't be satisfied. Like, I mean, I, I love winning. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not satisfied with today. Um, we could be a lot better, I feel like. Um, and, I mean, that's what we got to do. We got to find a way to be or play our best game every week. We didn't play our best uh, this week. We just, I mean, we, we came out with a win. How how did you put behind you and the team what happened last week? Uh, I mean, it's, we just played the Patriots. We just got a win. So, I mean, that was two weeks ago when that loss happened. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's last week, we weren't ready to play. I think this week, we had a better week of practice. Um, we kind of honed in on, on some of the smaller details and, and, and knew what the assignment was this week and came out of execute. Hey, Alvin, how big is it to go back to the Superdome this week? Man, it's, it's huge. You know, uh, you know, we're ready to get back and get in front of our own crowd and, and get back in our city, so we'll be ready. Take me through the touchdown to put you guys ahead. 
Uh, it was actually a running play, and Coach wanted to run the ball to run the time down, but I did bump the ball back. But Justin looked at me and said, uh, be ready for the fade. So <laughs> my, I just ran a route, fade. Uh, he put the ball where it needed to be, and I made the playoffs. So you didn't even know when the ball was snapped what was going to happen? Well, the, the, the thing was, run the ball. If we don't get it, let the time come down, keep the field goal. So they don't have no time on the clock to, uh, right. you know, obviously get the ball. But uh, he threw the ball to me, and he left some time out there. But obviously we got the touchdown, and we touched the defense, you know, with 30 seconds to get a start. What did Coach Staley have to say about his decision? Did you hear anything from him about it? What happened? Well, what did Coach Staley have to say when Justin decided oh, to hell with it, I'm throwing it? Hey, what are you thinking when it's fourth and four and then fourth and nine and you guys are going for it instead of trying the field goal? Uh, that's kind of what Coach talked to us about this, uh, you know, the whole week. Uh, we may have to go for it fourth down uh, because of the team, because of the power power they have. We got to just, you know, believe what we can do, control what we can do, uh, believe in the people that we have in the other one. That's what he believed in. We believe in others. Did you think it was good the moment you kicked it? I knew I was going to have a chance. Um, it felt really, really good coming off my foot, but, uh, for, I mean, from, you know, anytime you're, uh, on the other side of midfield, you know, there's, there's a little bit, there's a little bit more of a question mark, even if you smoke the ball, you know, is it going to get there? Um, but I saw it hit the crossbar and then bounce through, and I, then I just felt like I was, Floating. When it hit the when it hit the crossbar, what did you think was going to happen? Because I thought it was going to bounce back onto the field. My stomach dropped too. I thought I, uh, I thought it was just going to bounce straight up, and then you know, I'll jump short. And then the conversation I'd be having with you know guys like you or Peter King or Albert Breer would be, man, I've I really feel bad for losing three points out there in the first quarter, um, but. I can still say that, but now I can feel a lot better about the end result. <laughs> a lot of people are going to talk about go for it, right? You know what, guys? We're not here to participate. We're here to compete. We're here to win, right? We're here to win, right? And when you got people that you believe in, right, it's the easiest decision in the world. We talked about the plan to win, and it unfolded. Almost exactly how we want it. <laughs> all right, but here's the thing. All right, it's the first of many, guys. Brandon Staley in the visiting locker room in Kansas City. I'm reminded of Chris Sims explaining last year when there was the whole COVID protocol and you had to space out how small that locker room is. And Chris, as he often does, in very colorful terms, talking about trying to get dressed in someone's butt is in your face. So, Chris, <laughs> we're thinking of you as you explain things in the way that you do. Uh, let's get to fill in the blank. The most surprising thing about those Kansas City Chiefs starting off 1-2 and two is what, Shireen? Well, I think you have to go with the turnovers, Mike. This is a team that only had 16 last season. They already have six now. They're minus two in turnover ratio. And when they've had chances to win the games late the last two weeks – They've turned the ball over. It was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, obviously, against the Ravens with the fumble. They never saw the ball again. And yesterday, they did see the ball again, but Patrick Mahomes' interception on third down, a really bad pass attempt, set up the Chargers to take the lead. They did it, and 
they just got to stop turning the ball over. I think that much is very obvious, just the way they're turning the ball over. And this is something that this team hasn't done in the past. Patrick Mahomes hasn't done. He's doing it this year. He has three interceptions already, but they've got to cut out the turnovers. They're good. They're not good enough to overturn these turnovers, especially with the 30th-ranked defense. They're putting this defense in some bad situations. For me, the most surprising thing is the mystique is gone. That presumption that Mahomes is going to get you if you give him a crack, if you give him a sliver. And, hey, the Chargers left too much time on the clock under the pre-Super Bowl 55 Kansas City Chiefs scenario. But now, whatever can go wrong does go wrong. Patrick Mahomes isn't able to snatch the bacon out of the fire for the Chiefs. And I, I think that some of the people on that team need to quit thinking that he can. Because I think what happens is you rely too much on Patrick Mahomes to make Patrick Mahomes magic, and maybe other guys aren't doing what they need to do, like, oh, I don't know, play defense down the stretch. Hey, it's fine. We got Patrick Mahomes. We can give up a touchdown here. We can, go, we can still win the game. You, you got to quit thinking like that. It can't be all about Patrick Mahomes because he is unable to win the games single-handedly. Used to be. Currently, he's not. The AFC West, the, let me try that again, 3-2-1. and one. The <laughs> AFC West winner is who, Shireen? It's really hard to pick against the Chiefs, Mike. I think you can eliminate the Broncos, or I can eliminate the Broncos, because I don't think they're as good as those other three teams in the division. Like we've talked about, we're going to find out over the next four weeks if they are. But I like those other three teams, and I think it's going to be a great race to the finish. Raiders struggled very surprisingly at home against the Dolphins. I like the Chargers. I like the Chargers a lot, but it's still really hard to bet against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I'm going to say the Chargers. And we're going to learn a lot about the Chargers one week from tonight when they play the Las Vegas Raiders. Huge game in the division, but I like what the Chargers have done. I think they should have probably beaten the Cowboys. That's disappointing to me because the Chargers are one of the teams that I've kind of flagged as special this year, and they delivered yesterday, but they got a long way to go. The thing about the Chiefs, I think almost psychologically they need to be written off. They need to be forgotten. They need people like us to say someone other than them will win the division, and that'll light the fire. I remember 2019, the year that they lost some of their magic when Patrick Mahomes was injured. They seemed a little bit ordinary. And we locked on to the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, and we were smitten with the 49ers and their special season. And the Chiefs were just, meanwhile, handling their business one week at a time. And at one point I talked to Patrick Mahomes after – a game, and he said, I kind of like it that we're being overlooked. And they were overlooked all the way to a Super Bowl championship. So they still have a lot of chapters to write, and they could end up writing enough to get back and win it again. The 3-0 and team that will not make the playoffs is, and there are five of them, Broncos, Raiders, Panthers, Rams, Cardinals. Which one will not make the playoffs? Which one will you say, Carolina Panthers, has no chance of yeah, making right. the playoffs? Well, I was going to say, you and I both know which team I should pick, and it's the Panthers because I said they had no chance to make the playoffs before the season started. They obviously do have a chance, and I've already eaten crow, Mike. I've moved on, as Bill Belichick would like to say. I have moved on, and I have conceded the Carolina Panthers do have a great chance to make the postseason. So I'm going to pick Denver for all the reasons we just said, because they've played 0 for teams so far, four-game stretch that's really, really tough. Again, if they go 2-2 two and two in this four-game stretch that they have coming up, I'll be very impressed with them, and I think they will have a chance to go to the postseason. I, I don't want to 
give the Broncos double the reason to be salty about what we say today <laughs> to the extent that they listen. And they only listen to the extent that they can use it for motivation. I'm going to say the Cardinals. Yes. Tough division, 49ers. Yeah. Saints are looking better than they did in week two. The Panthers are looking very good. The Buccaneers are very good. The Cowboys are better than we thought they would be. The Vikings woke up a little bit. The Cardinals are lucky to be 3-0. and they should have lost to the yes. Vikings. They screwed around with the Jaguars more than they should have. I say the Cardinals are ultimately going to come back down to earth. New York football is what? I Please was use to language play off that, of, that can be employed boy, in mixed company. Yeah. I was trying to play off a big apple, and I couldn't think of anything good. And the thing that came to my mind first was hot trash. And what I see, Mike, is neither team really has anything to build off of. There's nothing there that I could say, oh, well, at least. There's no at least with either one of these teams. I mean, Zach Wilson hadn't shown you anything to think he's the quarterback of, of the future for this team. He's obviously the quarterback for now, but he has just struggled mightily. I guess the only good thing for the Giants is they could end up with a high pick or they go out in free agency and they get one of these big-name free agent quarterbacks, which is probably the better way to go considering that I've seen no one in college that I think could come in and step right in and and pick up one of these teams. And remember, the Giants have two first-round picks. They have the Bears and their own, which can be packaged if need be if they decide they want to try to move up and get a great quarterback or if they maybe want to use those as bait to go trade for, oh, I don't know, Russell Wilson. He was linked to the Giants a few years ago when he was negotiating his next contract. And, Shireen, we're of the same time frame. You had a perfect Big Apple reference you could have made. It comes to us courtesy of the lyrics of the classic Rolling Stones song, Shattered, from the album Some Girls. Go ahead, bite the Big Apple, don't mind the maggots. That pretty much explains New York football. Right That's now, 0-6 combined, and no sign that either of them are going to turn it around anytime soon. Ben Roethlisberger, blank. That's, that's the official entry. Not, not even a verb. Just Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> blank. Go. On the road to retirement, Mike, it sure looks like it. 39, passing rating of 79.0. That is below Davis Mills and Mac Jones. I realize Davis Mills has only played one game. It's ahead of only... Jacoby Brissett, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson. He's been really bad so far. I'm going to say Ben Roethlisberger. And I'm reminded of Aaron Rodgers last week saying that those of us who have an opportunity to speak to a single camera, thank you for switching (laughs) to the single camera shot right on cue, looking into the camera and saying something outlandish for clicks or for views and one second equals a view. That's not how it works, Aaron. Ben Roethlisberger could retire during the season. I'm not saying will. I'm saying could. The way that it's going, he could retire. One way to do it would be he just ends up on injured reserve even if he's healthy enough to keep playing, but their record gets to a point where it's not worth it. I could play through it if we had a chance to make it to the playoffs. I could play through it if we were playing for something. At some point, reality could set in that the Steelers are not going to be highly competitive in the AFC And that could be when Ben Roethlisberger decides to call it quits, even if he doesn't quit per se, retire per se, injured reserve, not come back, and that's that. I won't be surprised if that happens. The most impressive thing I saw on Sunday was what, Shireen? Well, it wasn't intended, Mike, but it's when the official's flag hit hit the football as Rondell Moore's trying to catch the punt. And you wrote about it, and he muffed the punt and was able to recover it. 
But it was pretty incredible. I've never seen that happen. Probably will never see it happen again because I assume the, of course, we'll never know because of the accountability thing. But I assume they'll have officials not throw the flag at the football like happened yesterday in that Cardinals game. First thing I thought of was Randy Johnson when he defeathered a bird with yeah. a fastball. And actually, uh, the Cardinals PR specialist, Mark Dalton, mentioned Randy Johnson and pointed out that the batter for that pitch, yeah. when the bird turned into a puff of feathers, was Calvin Murray, the uncle of Kyler Murray. So there's a connection there. But Rondell Moore, I, I felt bad for him. The ball's he's like, what the yeah. hell's going on? He's looking around. He doesn't know what to do. <laughs> Fortunately, the Cardinals recovered the ball and ultimately won the game, so it wasn't a big deal. For me, the most impressive thing was Justin Tucker's 66-yard field goal. But before that, there's the punt. There's the ball coming down. Watch Rondell Moore. Fair catch. And there's the flag. And he's like, what the hell? What is this? Is this some, some, some new ritual I'm not aware of at the NFL level? But for me, it was Justin Tucker with the 66-yarder. That was incredible. Yeah. The little crow step that Drew Brees noticed where, like in baseball, you take that step before you fire the ball as far as you can. Because before the game, Justin Tucker, and he told me this after the game, he was short from 65 at each end of the field. He got just enough. And Shereen, when it hit, I thought it's no good. I thought when it popped up, it was going to land in the blue. And then I was like, what did the ball just do before it landed? Where did it land? It hit the the net. So, uh, incredible. Yeah, I had to wait for the officials. Yeah. I wish that had been in a primetime game. Not that I wanted to watch the Lions and the Ravens for three hours, but what a finish. (laughs) And I think people in in this age of social media uh, appreciated it appropriately. And Justin Tucker's gotten a lot of run, as he should. It was a great moment. It was a record and for – uh, on two different occasions now, the Lions have been on the wrong end of yeah. an NFL record field goal, History. resulting in the same score. Tom Dempsey's 63-yarder beat the Lions 19-17, to and now Justin Tucker's 66-yarder beat the Lions 19-17. to Monday Night Football Preview, hopefully the score won't be 19-17. to We'll discuss Eagles at the Cowboys when PFTPM continues right after this. I can't tell you how many times I, since I've been here, um, you know, when I have, have an interaction with a fan, it's like, hey, beat Dallas. You know, and I, I think that's really cool. I think that's awesome. So um, I really love the fact that I'm, in the, I'm, I'm able to partake in this rivalry, and it, it means a lot to the city. It means a lot to our team, and it means a lot to this building. Nick Sirianni and Dan Campbell squaring off for which coach is the biggest bro right now in the NFL. But I like Sirianni's vibe. The players have responded to him. They're one and one Tough game tonight, though. Cowboys three-and-a-half-point favorites. The line has fallen from minus four. Somebody must like what the Eagles can do, Shereen. What do you think about tonight's game? Well, I think the Cowboys are going to win, Mike. They went one-and-one on the road to start the season. They have this stretch now of three straight home games. They're going to get the Panthers at the right time because McCaffrey's not going to play next week, so they're catching them at the right time. I think they win this game, and I think they win the division, Mike. They have the best quarterback of those four teams in the division. I agree with you, and if Dak Prescott had stayed healthy last year, they would have won the division. They were still competitive with Andy Dalton and whoever else played when Andy Dalton was out with a concussion. So I agree with you. Cowboys played very well against the Buccaneers. I think yesterday's outcome in Kansas City – by the Chargers winning that game should give the Cowboys even more to feel good about beating the Chargers in their own building. I think Dak Prescott will be very good tonight. I'm looking for more balance. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott sharing the load in the running game. Dak 
throwing and the, the defense, which has been a lot better than last year, not that it could have been any worse than last year. Mike, the stadium's seven minutes from my house. The roof's going to be, it's a beautiful day. The roof's open. The doors are open. I went and picked up lunch down there, picked up a salad, and there's Eagles fans everywhere. So this is going to be a fun game, I think. And I think it could be a close game into the fourth quarter, but I do think the Cowboys pull this out. Well, Shireen's on her way to the game. Enjoy the game, Shireen. Enjoy the game. Everybody else out there who will be watching it will be with you at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday to break down everything that happens tonight. Eagles and Cowboys, Monday Night Football. Enjoy the game. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. Have a great evening.